Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoyed this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus has been raised from the dead, and everyone in town knew about it. There was not a soul in Jerusalem that I could imagine that would not know what was going on at this time, especially because there was other people raised from the dead with him that he brought along back with him. And they're sitting there going, Aunt so-and-so was dead and now she's alive and she's out talking about the wonders of God. So everybody in Jerusalem knew about it. The word had spread. He was alive and he had the scars from from the crucifixion still on him. And he spent 40 days with them and then he ascended. And they're standing there, you know, like we talked about last week, they're standing there looking up in the sky, and the angels were like, dudes, guys, why are you standing there looking up into the sky? So they went to Jerusalem, and they waited like he asked them to do. You know, and Jesus is really like this with us. He doesn't show us our full plan. I tell you, if Jesus would have showed me my full plan for my life, I would have been running the other direction. I would have been like, nah, I don't want to go through that. This other stuff's really cool, but, but that right there, can we just like skip over that? Can we just like take that completely out? That's why Jesus doesn't always show us the plan for our lives, and he does the same with the disciples. He just says, hey guys, go back to Jerusalem and wait. And they were really glad they did the next thing. They went to Jerusalem. They went to the upper room, and they spent 10 days getting along. And this is about 120 of them. It's like a big retreat for them in one, in one sense. And they were in one accord. And for the first time, they were really getting along. And this was before the Holy Spirit fell on them. Now, we know it's pretty hard to get along with a group of people, especially a group of 120. The fascinating thing is that Jesus had to leave for them to actually start to get along. They had been through crisis, they had been through celebration, and then Jesus is all of a sudden gone, and now the Holy Spirit is fixing to come, and, and these guys start to get along. And in John 20, he told them, he told the disciples, you guys are going to do greater things than I did. And I can't fathom this, I can't even, you, you know, because we think so individualistically, don't we? Peter is thinking, I'm, I'm going to do greater things? No, that's not what he said. John's sitting there thinking, well, I'm going to do greater things, right? No. He said, collectively, you are going to do greater things than what I did here on this earth. And this is what, you know, really the book of Acts is all about. Collectively, through the Holy Spirit is what they did. Greater things. They did this because they began to get along. Well, I mean, getting along in a church is, is rare. It was back then, and it still is today. If we could get along in the church for 10 days, then the Holy Spirit could do wondrous things. Our work is to get along together, to be in one accord. Homo thumadon is what it's called. One vision, one passion, one mind, one heart. And if we do this, the Lord will bless us. When we don't do this, guess what? The Lord doesn't bless us as much. Well, in verse 15, they're going to choose a new disciple. Judas is gone for good. They decided they're not going to, you know, ask for his resurrection. They think Judas, okay, he really messed up. He's gone. 
And now they're calling themselves the eleven. What is interesting is they will choose another disciple, but they will still call themselves the eleven throughout the book of Acts. It's kind of funny. We don't know why. I'm sure the, the, the self-esteem of, of that one that's chosen to be the twelfth is really terrible, you know? Guys, guys, don't you... You pick me. We're twelve now. Well, let's jump into the Word. It says, uh, verse 15 of Acts 1, In those days Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Now re- remember, the disciples are there, and Jesus' family there, his mom, and, and women and men are both there, and they're part of the leadership of church. It's, a, it's you know, all Jewish, it's like this big Jewish mixed group here. And said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which, is, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Jesus. So we start to see Peter. Now Peter, you know, we, we think of Peter as this bumbling idiot guy that, that always stuck his foot in his mouth. And we love that because we think, man, we do that often enough with God. So we kind of relate to him. But we also start to see a different side of Peter here. We start to see the study inside of Peter. Here we see Peter's been studying the Torah. He knows about David. Peter starts to understand the prophecy of the Old Testament at this point. It goes on and says, who served as as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. So they, you know, feel betrayed also. Not just Jesus who was betrayed by Judas, but these guys are deeply, deeply hurt. This was a very tight-knit group in, in many ways. And they feel betrayed. Verse 18, it says, with the, with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, then, fell headlong, then, then he fell headlong. His body burst open and his intestines spilled out. And again, we get the details from Luke. Luke's the doctor. He, he throws in all those details here. And you know how we love to memorize certain scriptures? You know, put this one on your fridge, right? Or in your car or on the mirror, wherever you put scripture is to memorize it. You know, this, this isn't one of those that we really memorize. But Luke is just giving us the details. Verse 19, it goes on, it says, Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language Akeltama, that is, field of blood. For, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let no one dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. And this is another place that I'm putting on my uh, list of places that I want to go when we go back to, to Israel. We actually know where this place is. In fact, here's a, a, a picture. I want you to get an idea that, you know, they think, oh, he bought a field. It's not just a, a flat field. No, he bought a field. He went out there. They, they do terrace um, farming out there a lot because it's, it's really rocky, and they'll, they'll clear out all the rockies, uh, rocky area, and they'll kind of do a terrace, and then have another terrace, another, and that's how they grew a lot of the crops and stuff. So he basically hung himself, and apparently the rope or something broke, and he fell down this rocky cliff. So this is how this happened. He, he kind of tumbled down and tore open. It's kind of gross, but, but, you know, this is the field. This is one of those areas. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the one kind of below or on the right. I'll have to find a better picture, but uh, I do know that this is that area. Verse 21, it goes on, it says, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they're beginning to, to pick the criteria of, of who they're going to pick to replace Judas. Verse 23 says, So they proposed two men, Joseph called uh, Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and, Math- uh, and Matthias. So you have a guy named Joseph 
who was also son of uh, Sabbath, with that bar means son of, who was also called Justice, a Roman name. And then you have a guy named Matthias. So what we have here is two of the guys who've been following Jesus from day one. We think of the 12 disciples. We think, oh, these 12 just really hung out with Jesus and went around with Jesus, Galilee and all that ministry, and went down to Jerusalem and came back. We don't think of others following him from day one. From day one, there's other people out there following him. And it's nice to hear these names. They're, not just, they're just not named that often. Verse 24 says, Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the, uh, uh, the, and I, <laughs> the ministry there, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then, uh, then they cast lots, and they, a lot fell on Matthias. So he added to the eleven apostles. So they used this accepted practice of casting lots. And they prayed beforehand. They did their, their homework. They found two guys who would who'd really would, either one of them would be really well, you know, be, be a good replacement. And then they cast the lots. Now this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't about throwing dice. Don't think, okay, well, I've done my research, so now I can go to Vegas. This isn't what they're doing here. They're not gambling here. Either of these two guys would have been great. But this was just an accepted thing that was allowed back then. So we think, you know, we looked at this and we think, oh, poor Joseph, Joseph you know, poor Justice. This, this poor guy, you know. He was close to being chosen, but, I mean, you know, he could have had a statue in the Sistine Chapel, but now we just, you know, hardly even know, really know about him. But it's ironic here. Because we don't really hear a lot about either of these two guys, except for in you know, Acts 15, 22, and, and Barsabbath, or Barsabbas, or Joseph, is spoken about again. And it's kind of a comfort for those, who, uh, those of us who felt maybe left out. We're thinking, man, I, I'd be great for that ministry. I'd be great for that thing. I want to be picked for that. And for some reason, somebody else gets picked. Well, I wanted to be picked for that. Or maybe it's a job promotion. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, I, I've, I've really worked hard. I've been working this job for a long time. I deserve to be next. And all of a sudden you're passed over. You're thinking, well, man, the dice have been thrown and I've been left out. And we kind of feel like we're, we're left with the short end of the stick. But there's a comfort that the Lord uses Barsabbas because he is still respected. He, he continued to, to follow. He continued to be a part of ministry. And the Lord continued to use him. And in Acts 15, the church feels like they're losing control. When I say the church, I'm talking about kind of the religious side of church. Those that were, were in control, you know, started at the very beginning. Those that have been around from the beginning. They start to feel like they're losing control because, man, who, who said that, that this ministry could go out to Gentiles? This is a Jewish thing. But once they figured this out... This guy, once they kind of figure out, no, the, the Lord has a broader understanding of who he wants to go to, and that includes the whole world, not just the Jewish nation. This guy, guy Barsabbas, goes out with Paul, and he's one of the guys who begins the church in Antioch. You're talking about a, a, heritage of, a heritage of being used by God. Here you may feel you know, left out, and here you're the beginning of the church in, 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 in Antioch. Now that is a great thing. We can never look at the Lord and say, why not me? Because then we're sitting there saying, God, you, you don't have a plan for my life. 
God has a plan for our life, and we just have to keep focusing. Okay, Lord, you're going to use me in a certain way at a certain time at a certain place. I'm just waiting for your call. And that's what we need to do is wait for the call of the Lord. I mention this because God does have a plan for your life. If we get passed over in Acts 1, just hang in there. Because Acts 15 is coming around and, and God's perfect plan still can be, can be put out for your life. Or can still be attained for your life. You know, twice now this has happened in my life. Where I thought, I've worked it out in my mind. I've, I've researched out. I, I've, I've taken down that road this way. If, if this is chosen, then I've gone out that way. If this is chosen, and I worked it out, there, there's no other choice but me. And then I find myself, wow, they didn't pick me. First time was, I was in college. I was dating Lisa in, in a fairly large church. And I'd worked there a couple of summers interning. And, I, and uh, I, I really felt kind of this pull toward ministry. And, and um, uh, the high school pastor was moving up to college. Junior high pastor was moving up to high school. And there was an opening for that spot. And I thought... Hey, this fits me perfectly. This is, I mean, mentally, I'm right there with junior hires. Works out great. I'm young. I'm ready to go. And then they picked a, like, a 50-year-old keyboard player to help them out in their music ministry for the, for the youth. I'm thinking, what? You've got to be joking. And next thing I know, I'm married, and, and my wife and I move out to California, and I'm going to a church, and the Lord's going, this is where I got you. And I go into the pastor, and I say, hey, have you ever heard of interns? I'd like to, like, just help out. Who's your youth pastor? I've never met her, so, so let me, you know, I just want to help. And he starts laughing. He goes, well, we've been praying for somebody. I'm thinking, why are you laughing? Two weeks later, I find out the youth pastor was leaving. And he goes, you're it. The Lord has certain plans for us. And if I could have just gone, well, fine. I'm never going to serve again. I'm never going to be involved again. I'm never going to do that because the Lord didn't pick me for this. We have a choice. Either we wait upon the Lord or we give up. Don't give up. So all we have to do is figure out, what is the next thing for me, Lord? What is the next thing? Chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And again, this is all in one accord. They're getting along. The English translation is not good here. It all means they were all getting along. They were together in one place. It's not really a, a great translation for that. And then suddenly a sound like a blowing a, of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Well, let's stop here and look at a few, few of these words. And this is very exciting what happens here. First of all, we have Pentecost. Fifty days over or past Passover or after Passover. This is a second of three major feasts for Israel. You have Passover and then you have Pentecost and then you have uh, Tabernacle, the Feast of Tabernacle, which is in the fall around October. Now, Pentecost started out as a harvest festival, spring harvest. Fifty days after Passover, spring is here, the weather's nice, and, and uh, think, of, think of Israel and, and Jerusalem and, and the weather being a lot like the Bay Area. You know, here it gets really, really hot in the Bay Area. It gets, it gets hot a little bit, but the, you know, the, the cool winds come in at night. It's kind of, you know, a lot like uh, parts of Israel there. 
But it evolved. This, this Passover, I mean, this, the, the, the Pentecost festival evolved into a celebration of the giving of the law. For some reason, it went from spring harvest to the giving of the law. And now what that has to do with harvest, I have no idea. Nothing that I can figure it out. It just turned into something else. So it started off as a harvest festival, and then a celebration of the giving of law. And then the tradition went uh, that it took them 50 days to get from, uh, you know, to the original Passover, from, from Passover in Egypt to Israel. It says it took them 50 days. And that's kind of, then, um, then Moses got the law. And that's kind of where they, they turned this harvest spring harvest celebration into the 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 celebration of of the getting out of egypt and they still celebrate this today in israel and we should celebrate along with him i think you know either the the giving of the law or uh, by the holy spirit or the holy spirit coming to us i think it's a good thing to celebrate we need to celebrate the harvest part god has blessed me has God blessed you at all? Has God blessed you in your life at all? We should be celebrating those times when God blesses us. Or maybe, the, maybe we ought to celebrate the, you know, the God you know, giving the Torah. God gave us His Word. His Word. Or the best part of the Pentecost, God fully coming upon us. Now we have the Spirit, so it's a lot easier for us to obey the law. It's a lot easier than without the Holy Spirit. It still can be difficult. You and I both know that we struggle with those things where, where the Lord's saying, I want you to act this way for this reason. And we go out and act the opposite sometimes. And it's still a struggle. And with the Holy Spirit, you know, that becomes less and less. But it's impossible to please the Lord without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. And Pentecost is when we can celebrate that. It was the Holy Spirit that got you out of bed this morning to, for you to come here. And some of you are thinking, no, that was my wife or that was my husband. It's the Holy Spirit who drew you to worship Him today. The Holy Spirit touched your heart when you first took communion with Him today. The Holy Spirit told you to behave yourself on Friday night. The Holy Spirit is the lifeblood of the church and makes us the body of Christ. Now, if we don't have the Holy Spirit... We're like a body without the blood. Unfortunately, we see this a lot of times within the churches. Churches who are afraid of the Holy Spirit. Churches who, you know, they package it up in a certain way and say, well, this is how the Spirit acts, this is how it acts within our church, so we have to do it this way. Or it's all about do and do and do and do. You have to do this, you have to do that to to get the Spirit. And that's not what the Word of God has to say. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us to one another and tells us to love one of each other, you know, tells us to love each other instead of just like being with each other, tolerating each other. And he tells us to, uh, you know, he tells them to go and wait so they can receive this. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a, like a blowing of a violent wind came. In the original language, it, it means a violent tempest blast. In other words, something that just, just kind of throws you over, something that you, you, you definitely wake up. Right now, and somebody says, you know, ever since I found out my wife was pregnant and then our son was born, that I haven't gone one sermon without mentioning him. And, you know, it'll probably be years, so just get used to it. But I tell you, any little noise, especially silverware, you know, we, we got a kind of a granite tile countertop, and, you know, unloading the dishwasher, if you put the silverware on the, on the tile, it makes my son just jump. Well, imagine a tempest, a violent tempest blast just kind of just waking you up. I mean, everybody would have heard this. We do know all of Jerusalem heard this. 
And it says, From heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. We're not sure what this looked like. This is a big fireball coming into the room and then splitting apart. We're not really sure. Verse 4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now imagine these guys. We read it and go, oh yeah, that, that was baptism of the Holy Spirit. But for these guys, they're sitting in the room, they're all getting along. Some are over here in the corner praying, some over here talking, some of them are going, well, what are we waiting on? And, and you know, all this is going on, and all of a sudden this loud noise just shows up. And it just kind of, and they're freaking out. They, they don't know if this fireball, is it going to consume them? They don't know. So imagine what's going on in this room. They're probably just ducking and, and hiding under tables. You know, I mean, it's, it's almost like, a, you know, the, the earthquake over in Japan. They, they knew exactly what was going on. These guys, they didn't know what was going to go on. Now, to my knowledge, this has never happened again. Now, a lot of uh, Pentecostal teaching will, will teach otherwise. But through the books of Acts, we'll, we'll talk about... Uh, we'll talk about all of that stuff different times when the Holy Spirit comes. But this particular experience has never happened again to my knowledge. We don't read about it. We've, and I haven't heard about it happening you know, since then. But there have been the, those who have spoken in tongues, preached the Gospels in another language that they did not know. But this part I've never heard about happening again. Now remember, Jesus gave them three words about the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he said is, I will send the Holy Spirit to be with you. With you means para or para, like paraclete. Or think of it in uh, paramedic, somebody who, who comes to you in a time of need, that, that with us. And the book of John is, is where they said, you know, where are, we, where are you going? We want to go with you. And he said, you can't, but I will send you what? I will send you a paraclete. I will send you a helper. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to be with us. Now this should be comforting for those, especially during times of grief. There's a para. It's like almost reaching out and touching God himself because it is with us. Jesus said, I will be with you to the end of the age. That's the Holy Spirit. But it really seems like we feel him. We feel the Spirit during those times of grief. Now, secondly, the second word Jesus said about the Holy Spirit is that He will be with us. I mean, He will be in you. So He will be with you and He will be in you. Sometimes He talks about baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is, you know, that is with. Sometimes He talks about it being filled by the Holy Spirit. That is in you. We experience this sometimes when we, when we have a great fear and this, this, this voice inside of us just calms us down. And he says... I'm here. I'm here. Relax. I've been with you. Calm down. And we do so. Sometimes it's when we're in a Bible study and we're going along and we're reading this or, or, or we're at home and we're reading the scriptures and, and, and we're going along and reading it and he goes, oh, slow down for a second. Go back and read that. That is him with us. And that's the answer that we've needed, that we've been praying about. And God says, here's the answer right here within my scripture. That is being led by the Spirit. Not only is He with you, like hugging you and holding you, He is in you. He's speaking to you in your mind. And this is confirmed in the Scripture. And this is how we know Him. This is how we know we're not crazy. Other people just hear voices. 
We hear the voice of the Holy Spirit within us. You know, another way is you go to older brothers and sisters in Christ and you go, you know, I think the Lord's been telling me this. And then they can come to you and say, you know, that bears out in the Scripture. This is what the Scripture has to say about this. And they can help you understand. Now thirdly, he said you will have the Holy Spirit come upon you or over you. This is what happened with Mary. The Holy Spirit impregnated her with the Savior of the world. In our case, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and impregnates the gospel of the Savior of the world. In our mouths, we begin to speak the gospel, and no one can argue with that. No one can argue with the truth. That is baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm, I'm not sure that we even understand it. In fact, I don't think we completely understand it today. The church has been fighting about this from almost day one. The church has been fighting about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the very thing that the Lord uses to reverse, you know, Babel from the Tower of Babel. You remember that? Everybody's in all in one language and, and the Lord's sitting there going, man, they're getting way too cocky. They think they can do everything. So he kind of disperses them and changes all their languages up. And here the, the Lord's using the Holy Spirit to speak the same language to us. And what do we do? The enemy takes it and starts to, 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 to you know, divide us. The enemy takes it and, and puts division within the church through this. The enemy has used this to divide the church over and over again. People talk about the Acts 2 experience, and then the fights begin. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, and, and we'll go to other scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit, not what we feel about the Holy Spirit. See, that's the difference. What does the Bible have to say about this? But today, we'll just continue moving on. We'll get to that later. Now, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages. The word here is uh, delectos, which means dialects. So the Spirit is pre you know, pre uh, preparing them to start to speak publicly. And for Americans, this seems to be the number one fear. Which is weird, because I think the number one fear would be death, wouldn't you? You know, but the number one fear seems to be speaking in public. They'd rather speak about the guy who is dead, or I'm sorry, let me rephrase this. They'd rather be the guy who's dead than be the guy speaking about the guy who's dead. You understand what I'm saying? So for 120 people, this fear is going to be taken away. Now these guys weren't freaking out. The Holy Spirit isn't going to make us freak out. Our God is an orderly God. It's not, oh, I just can't stop because the Spirit is just taking me over. No, that person needs to be smacked around a little bit. Okay, maybe not really. But sometimes you kind of feel like that. But they need to be stopped because this whole idea, I can't, I can't stop, it's the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. That's your flesh. That's not the Holy Spirit. And this is why there's so much fighting about certain... What, I hate to use this word, Pentecostal, because we have certain you know, what does Pentecostal mean? But, you know, this is one of the definitions of that. But because of the abuses of the Holy Spirit in public worship, people get freaked out when others do things that, you know, do their freak out thing. So therefore, when we talk about it, uh, we'll talk about it when the time comes, but we usually run away from it. I'll tell you where I kind of stand on this, some of this stuff as we go along. And, but I'm not going to tell you, no, you have to think exactly like I do. No, you need to search the scriptures. You need to study it for yourself and decide for yourself on this. 
Verse 5, it goes on and says, Now they were standing in Jerusalem. I'm sorry. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in their own language. I'm sure that they were totally confused. This would have been so cool to be around. They were all coming from, you know, these guys coming from Libya to, to Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they're hearing somebody speak Libyan that shouldn't be able to speak it. I mean, that is pretty cool, to, you know, pretty cool in, in my eyes. You know, that, that looks like the mother of Jesus, but she's speaking my language. I don't understand this. Yeah, that's the family of Jesus. Yeah, that's a, that's a Galilean. He shouldn't know other languages. And they're talking about the wonders of God. Verse 7, it goes, Utterly amazed, they ask, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Here we go again. These, these guys, they're just dumb hicks. They're, just, they're from the boondocks out there. How can, how can this be? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, and Alamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, and I'm not going to say all the rest of them because my mind just goes blanks when I try to say the names. But basically from all over the known world at this time, both Jews and converts to Judaism. In other words, those who were not born Jews but converted to, to being Jew, who, were not, you know, who will not become uh, Christians. Uh, well, let me rephrase this. These guys converted to Jews... And then they'll now become Christians, and they're Gentiles basically from the beginning. Cretes and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So 120 of them are speaking. There's this huge noise with this many speakers, yet they're able to pick out their own language. So all of a sudden, they're kind of separating out in, into groups to, to be able to hear the speaker of their language. And, and Thaddeus is over there speaking perfect Arabic, and you know he shouldn't be able to speak it, declaring the wonders of God. And they understand what he's saying. Amazed and perplexed, verse 12, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them, said they had had too much wine. The world perplexed is existential. This is almost like them standing, they, you know, I said the world. See, sometimes I read my notes and I misspell stuff. I meant the word here for perplexed is existential. You go back and study it, that's what it means. It's almost like, you know, the famous, uh, I say it famous saying, the Indian guy who, who says, I'm standing here beside myself. It's almost like that. They were so perplexed. They're, it's almost like they're, they're standing there watching themselves doing these things and they, they can't believe it. They're all listening to, to others here. Now, how did the Jews get so scattered? all over the world by A.D. 30. What are Jews doing in Libya or Rome or Istanbul? Well, they were mostly together up until 722 B.C. when the Lord allowed the Syrians to come in and take the ten tribes. And two were left. Some of them were allowed to return, but many others said, hey, I like my life out here. I'm going to stay where I'm at. Then in 586 B.C., Babylon comes and carts many of them off to Babylon. And we studied the book of Daniel, so I won't go into all of that again. So you have Jews just kind of going all over, and then the Persians come in and take over. And this is the time of Esther. And, and, and you know, during that time, or right there when the Persians take over, they say, Hey, some of you guys, if you want to go back to Jerusalem, go back to Jerusalem. You want to rebuild the temple, I'll, I'll bless you. As king, I'll let you do that. So some of them do this, but some of them stayed, as, like Esther. 
Then around 222 B.C., Egypt begins to dominate the world. And you have Jews being taken to Egypt again. And at this point, over one million Jews are in Alexandria, in Egypt. And it keeps going. Around 100 A.D., Syria conquers them again. This is after Christ has been dead. And, you know, Syria is where Antioch is over there. And when you see Turkey, it is called Asia back then. And then you have the Roman Empire and all the Roman roads. So Jews are going all over the world. And I kind of found a map and kind of give you an idea. There's Jerusalem. Here's all the different nations that were just mentioned. Does this look like God spreading out the gospel to all the known world? This is really cool. This is pretty awesome. Jesus said to them, Jesus said, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They just didn't realize that that's, this meant next week. It happens so quickly. Several days after Jesus spoke, around 50, many people stayed. Because of what had just happened, Jesus raised from the dead, all the rumors going around, all the stuff going around. And, and so they're listening, and 3,000 of them come to know the Lord at this point, and then they go back home. 50 days. Now, Lisa and I, we have a lot of Egyptian friends, and many of them trace their Christian heritage back to AD 30. That is pretty cool. This means some Jewish person received the gospel and went back to the middle of his country and started a church. This is exciting. Sometimes things happen a lot quicker when God is involved. By AD 60, Christ's name is all over the world, and it started with 3,000 people converting to Christ after 120 of them came together in one accord. Well, Peter just can't let this statement go of, you guys are, you must have been drinking. You're all drunk now. So in verse 14 it says, And Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and, the crowd, and answered the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now this happens in eighty thirty on a Sunday morning, 50 days after Pentecost at 9 a.m., one of the few times in the Bible where we know the exact time that something happens. And we see again that Peter begins to study. He goes on and says, verse 16, No, this is what was spoken by the, gospel, uh, uh, by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. And again, it's both men and women. I will show wonders in the heavens above and then signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was, was a man accredited to God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through, them, through him, as you yourselves know. Peter is starting to put all of this together for them. 3,000 of them will change their mind and believe in Jesus. Verse 23, it goes on and says, 
This man was handed over to, to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of the wicked men, the Romans, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, some of you who, who love to debate certain things in the Bible, like uh, predestination, whether man has free will or, or not, this is a fun verse because it has both these things in one verse. So have fun with that. Go out there and search out the scriptures and try to figure it out. He predestined what you guys did, and you guys decided to do it. He's not letting them get off easy. Peter is totally changed now because of the Holy Spirit. Remember when Jesus' uh, message, Jesus' message got harsh? Peter pulled him aside and says, Dude, you're, you're, you're starting to lose them. They're starting to kind of fade away. Some of these guys aren't listening anymore. They're, 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 they're taking off. You need to lighten up, man. Now Peter sounds just like Jesus. That's amazing. Verse 24 goes on and says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So now you see Peter's been studying Joel and David. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. And this is David talking. He's, he's repeating what David is saying. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And he's talking about Jesus Christ here. So David in the Old Testament is talking about what will happen with Jesus. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with the joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. And I, I didn't have time to grab the picture. I have a picture of David's tomb. It is there still today. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he, that he would place one of his descendants on a throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. This is so fascinating to me. They received power, and they were the witnesses. Hmm. Verse 33, it says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit that was poured out on what you now see and hear. Jesus is doing it right now, guys. That's what he's saying. Right now he's doing it. For David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at, for your feet. Psalms 110 is what Peter is quoting here. And the original language says, Yahweh said to Adonai. Yahweh, God, said to Adonai, Christ. They were both there. Therefore, let all, uh, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Kurios, which means master, and Christ, which means anointed one. You guys better, you know, better get right with him before you meet him, because you crucified him, he's telling them. Peter, man, this, this is really, really blunt here. Peter cuts right to the heart. He cuts right to it. Kata, nuso. Cut to the heart. Pierced through the heart. Kata means together and nuso means through. The Holy Spirit has got all of their attention at this point. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, 
and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter hasn't told them anything yet. They ask, you know, they're so overwhelmed. It cuts right to the heart. We've got to do something, Peter. What shall we do? And the evidence of the Holy Spirit life is people around you asking you, What shall I do? You seem to have wisdom. You seem to to be connected with the Lord. It doesn't mean you're better than I am. It just means you're further in your relationship than I am with the Lord. What should I do? When people treat you this way, you know you're on the right track. Now we have to be careful. We need to not just give advice. Well, let me tell you what you should do. Because then that's our humanness that jumps up. We We need to pray first. And if the Holy Spirit can use you in this way, then great. But if he doesn't give you an answer to give them, then don't give them an answer. Say, I don't know, keep praying. Don't just do it and say, well, I'm closer to the Lord, so let me tell you. No. Verse 38, it says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, some have used this to say, well, we baptize in the name of Jesus only. And of course, this is not biblical to say this. There are those out there, some churches out there that, that say this because Jesus said at the, you know, the end of, end of Matthew, I think it was, or Luke, he says, you know, baptize in the name of what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What Peter is doing here is just making sure they understood who Jesus was, his position when it came to God. And it says here, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter tells them to repent, and this is a fascinating word. Meta nuo. Meta means change, and nuo means mind. To change your mind. Come on, guys, right now, you need to change your mind. The word forgiveness here is ophius, or ophius, which means forgiveness, or, or pardoned, or released from bondage, or letting go of sin, as if it was never been committed. This is really neat. They ask what they should do. Well, repent and be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit and you will get forgiveness. And he kind of throws in a bonus for today only. Verse 39 says, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This is talking about us. This is talking about those who are called. We are the ones who are called. Future tense. He is saying this promise is for everyone. If we repent, if we are cut to the heart, if we change our mind about Jesus and repent, we will receive the remission of sin and will receive the Holy Spirit. That is an awesome thing. And we'll see five different events where they experience a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and the book of Acts ends with us believing that this can happen to us as well. Now, I'll be honest with you. Over the years, this has been kind of hard for me, especially this book. Because I grew up Southern Baptist. And I don't know, some of you know about Southern Baptist, some of you don't. We're pretty conservative. And because of the abuses of some churches, the Southern Baptists closed themselves off a lot of times to the Holy Spirit in many ways. Because we didn't fully understand the Spirit. Well, I say we shouldn't stay away from anything that we don't understand. We shouldn't just go, well, forget it. And it took me a lot, you know, many years of study and many years of, of coming to understand who God is for me to start changing my mind because I was limiting God, saying, well, this is who God is. This is what I've been taught who God is. And really, that's 
how the church felt about God, not this is what the scriptures have to say about God. There's a difference between our feelings and what the scriptures have to say. Did you know, the, the, you know, growing up, I mean, for the ladies, I noticed the ladies were helping out with, with communion and, and, you know, the, the offering plate today. Well, in my church, that, that wouldn't have happened. No, women, women don't do that. The deacons do that. Well, did you know in the Word of God, there's no difference between the word deacon and deaconess? But us as humans, as modern day, we, we translate to English and we go, well, men, we, we call it deacon. For women, we call it deaconess. Well, in the original language, guess what? It's the same word. Same exact word. Anytime something happens with the Holy Spirit, it has to be done properly in accordance with the order of God at the right place and around the right people. And I say this because I don't want to limit God. So if, if, if somebody needs to speak in tongues, you've got to go by the Scriptures. I've never heard it done right. Because I've always, it's always been done around unbelievers. Well, the scriptures say it needs to be done around believers. So I don't want to get into something and sit there and go, well, I don't want to bless this because that's not what the scriptures say. But at the same time, I don't want to say, well, God said that no one, say, you know, no one else will ever speak in tongues. No, the word of God says this will happen in the end times. So who am I to say, no, 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 we can't allow that to happen. No, that's not what the scriptures say. But it has to be done properly. It has to be done in the right time, in the right place. So research out what the scriptures have to say about this and figure it out. If God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, then certainly he can use his Holy Spirit today to allow people to speak in tongues or do miracles. But it has to glorify God. It can't be about man. And that's where, where a lot of the problems, a lot of uh, people get in, pro, you know, in trouble with the Lord and everything with, and a lot of churches kind of go off, is because it's all about the church, it's all about glorifying men, it's all, all about glorifying this denomination, and, and they kind of leave God out of it completely. We'll talk about more of, that, you know, more of that later, but verse 40, it goes on, it says, With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, if you want to memorize a verse, now there's a good verse to memorize. Put that on your car, put that on your, your mirror when you're getting ready, put that you know, on your fridge. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their num- number that day. Well, this is an exciting time for them. The church's number now is 3,120 people. Now, looking at this, I want to add... That walking with Jesus has changed them. But they needed to this. This is what got them off the dime. This is what them got them off their hind ends. This is what got them you know, you know, going in regards to ministry. This got them excited about doing the will of God. If you're sitting there thinking, man, I would like some of that, then start praying. Start praying that the the Lord, that He would, you know, the Spirit would prompt you into whatever ministry you're supposed to be in, whether that is ministry within the church, which we certainly have areas that the Holy Spirit prompts you that we need help in, but also outside of the church. The the ministry of taking the gospel to the world, the ministry of of talking to the people at work. Now, don't, you know, beat it over their heads where you get trouble, get fired. But at the same time, your example can change their life. Whatever ministry it is, start praying to the Lord. 
If you're feeling kind of blah, if you're kind of, you really don't have a place of ministry in his kingdom, then ask him to change that. And when you do this, do it with a pure heart and the right motive, and he will blow your socks off. He will blow your mind. You'll be, th- you'll be able to do things collectively that is greater than what Christ did. And that is bring people into this kingdom. Change this world. Started out with 120, went to 3,000, and now we couldn't tell you the number. We couldn't. Only God knows that number. And many of you are amongst that number. Now ask God, what do you want me to do for your kingdom? Let's pray. Lord, I pray as we study this book, as we go through and, and talk about your spirit, that you allow us to see something new. Not something new to the scripture, but something new to our own minds, our own hearts. When we connect with you, you can show us, show us wondrous things. You can use us to heal other people. You can use us to speak to other people's heart, to, to cut right to the heart as Peter does. And I pray that your spirit starts prompting us individually to come together as one group and get along, to come together as one group and change this town of Tulare that, that can change this valley, that can change this state, that can change this nation. And that can happen through you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that when we pray these prayers, and we do it with the right heart, that you will answer them. And we know you will, Lord. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. The Lord's spirit work in your life. And may his face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.